Jesus' crucifixion from John chapter 19. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of a, the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That's God's word. What do you say to that? How do you think in response? We could, we could go into details. I could tell you how horrible crucifixion was. Crucifixion was first documented in about 522 B.C., by the Greek historian Herodotus, and it was the Persians who did the first crucifixion. And that was bad and painful, but fast forward about 500 years to the Romans, and the Romans, they made, they made crucifixion a, a sadistic art form. They, they didn't just have the goal of executing criminals, no, no. They wanted to terrify people, horrify people into submission. They took crucifixion and, and they experimented with it. Every time it happened, every crucifixion was an experiment and they were trying to figure out how can we make someone suffer as badly as possible for as long a time as possible. They wanted crucifixion to be unthinkable, nauseating, uh, stomach-churning, uh, like, pardon me, but throw up in your mouth a little when you realize what's going on because it's just so horrific. That's what they wanted it to be. And we could go, we could go into those details of how they made crucifixion a public service announcement saying to everyone who, who saw it, 
if you don't do what we say, this could be you too. But John doesn't give us any of those details. And actually, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us some things. They talk about how Jesus had a crown of thorns put on his head and how he was whipped and scourged and mocked and ridiculed and, and tortured in other ways and how he carried his cross. But when it comes to the actual act of Jesus being crucified, it's just three words. They crucified him. Earlier this week, I, I learned new details that even I, I had never heard before about what crucifixion is. I'm not even going to share them. They make my stomach churn just thinking about them. It wouldn't be wrong for us to go into details. It would be fine, and it would be a good thing. It, it might serve a good purpose. It might drive home the, the horrid results of our sins. We could do that. But what we can't do, what would be wrong for us to do tonight, what you must not do is say, oh, poor Jesus. We must not feel bad for him or be sad about him, even, even though the excruciating, unimaginable pain that he went through physically. We can't even feel bad for him. It wouldn't be quite right to feel bad for him in what was even more painful which I can't imagine, but him being separated spiritually from his father, completely separated, which no human being in the history of the universe has ever felt except for Jesus himself. But we shouldn't be sad. We shouldn't say, oh, poor Jesus. We shouldn't have any sort of pity for him. Because to be honest, it would be misplaced sadness. Misplaced pity. There's no place on Good Friday for sadness on Jesus' behalf because we need to feel sadness for the thing that we don't like to think about. We don't like to sit in. We don't like to acknowledge. There's no place for sadness for Jesus on Good Friday, but there is a fitting place for sadness. And it's sadness at my heart and sadness at my life. After all, after all that I've seen Jesus do in the Bible and in my life, there's a place for deep sadness at how I still, after seeing all of that, I still don't trust him fully. I still worry about all sorts of things every single day. Even after seeing him be the perfect ruler, full of love and compassion and justice, there's room for sadness on this night because I still think that I can be the monarch of my own life and that I can be in charge and that that would be a good thing or, or I think maybe I could be in charge someday and I could make everything turn out correctly. There's room for sadness on Good Friday even as I look at what he commanded me to do and I say, yeah, I want to do that. And I know what's right and what's wrong. And I want to do what's right and I don't want to do what's wrong. And yet I still do the wrong things and I still don't do all the right things. There is room for sadness on Good Friday, but not poor Jesus. 
There's room for sadness as we each look at our own hearts and our own lives. But I'll say it again, not for Jesus. Because Jesus, (laughs) he wanted to do all this. Good Friday isn't about Jesus being killed or Jesus dying. Good Friday is about Jesus being in complete control the entire time. It's not about him being killed or being crucified. It's about Jesus laying down his life for you and choosing to do it. John shows this to us again and again. He gives us these details about how everything that was happening was according to plan. Like he gives us the detail about the soldiers taking Jesus' clothing and then his undergarment and how they divided it up and then cast lots for them. And the reason John tells us this is because this was according to plan. It's a quote from Psalm 22. We read it earlier. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. From a human perspective, that was part of the plan for a thousand years. From God's perspective, it was part of the plan forever. And when Jesus said, I am thirsty, he was thirsty. More thirsty than any of us have ever been in our entire lives. But he didn't say, I am thirsty because he was thirsty. He said it to fulfill a different scripture. Psalm 69, which said that he was going to say, I am thirsty, and that there was going to be wine there for him. And so that's what they fed him, wine vinegar, which was something the soldiers would have drank. And so even in some small way, Jesus' thirst was quenched even just a little bit. It was all according to plan, and Jesus was consciously acting at all times. But that's not all. Jesus was in charge. And as always, he was in charge in a perfectly loving way. Maybe minutes, maybe hours before his death, he saw his mother. And even in the moment, the moments of his greatest suffering, he was thinking about her. Just as he lived his entire life, never thinking about himself, always loving everyone else around him. And can you imagine, can you imagine hearing that conversation? The man on the cross, seeing his mother and saying, woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, which was John, here's your mother. Can you imagine seeing that happen? And then there's more. Because Jesus decided when to die. He should have been up there for another day or two. That's how the Romans usually had it happen. And they weren't not good at their jobs of crucifixion. They knew what they were doing. But Jesus is in charge even of his own dying. He decided, not the Romans, he decided When was the best time to bow his head and give up his spirit? It was all according to plan. And last but not least, Jesus said what are maybe the most beautiful three English words in the entire Bible when he said, It is finished. And he said those words. He said those words for you for your benefit, 
so that you could sit here today, April 2nd, 2021, and every day for the rest of your life, and you could know for a fact that there is nothing left for you to do. The work is complete. Because that's how we want life to be, right? We want things to be complete. But nothing ever is. Just think about your daily life. There's always more work to do on the house. The grass always grows back. The dishes, even before the dishwasher's done, there's more dishes that are dirty. And it's the same with laundry. When you vacuum, you never get it all, no matter how, how long you vacuum for. And there's always more dirt to vacuum. It never stays away. It's never complete. At school, when you hand in an assignment, there's always another one. And if you finish the school year, there's always next school year. And if you finished all your school, then there's always work. And at work, if your work is truly complete, well, then your employment would be complete too. And you don't want that. And then in the business of working on yourself, trying to mess up less, trying to love other people more, trying to have fewer regrets, trying to do more good. That work is never complete either. In a life that is full, full of things that are at varying stages of incompleteness and sometimes just plain failure, there's one thing, one thing that's complete, one thing that's finished. And the thing that is complete is your relationship with God. It's complete. From God's perspective, it can never get any better because Jesus has finished every last bit of the work to make your relationship with God absolutely perfect. Think about it. How could it get any better than it is? On the one hand, you've got an absolutely perfect God in relationship with you, someone that he views as absolutely perfect. Yeah, he does. Because Jesus has finished the work of taking away every last thing that is between you and God. And you might not feel like it, but that doesn't matter. Because Jesus didn't say, it is finished, except for every day when you sin, then it becomes unfinished for a while until you confess and are forgiven. No, he said, it is finished. And that's true every moment of every day. Your relationship with God cannot get any better than it is right now because right now it is perfect because Jesus said so. Because he said it is finished. He did. He perfectly completed the task that none of us ever could. He made us at complete peace with God. So, Sadness on Good Friday? Well, yeah. Because I, I am worse than I ever want to admit. And that makes me sad. But when you look at Jesus, there doesn't need to be any sadness for him. Because when you see Jesus even hanging on the cross, you see him not being a victim, you see him being the victor. Because even on the cross, Jesus 
is, is more loving, more in charge, more powerful, more perfect than you could ever possibly imagine at the very same time as I am worse than I would ever want to admit to anyone. So sadness, yeah. And maybe it's, maybe it's among tears. But when you see Jesus, smile, happiness, joy, a full heart. Because again, he's done the thing that you and I could never do. And we can't ever make it better. It's already perfect. He perfectly completed your relationship with God. It is finished. Amen.